Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Hey, welcome to this wonderful Wednesday. It may not be Wednesday for you. We always air these on a Friday, but we record them on Wednesday. So that's why I'm giving you that greeting. We're glad you're with us. Uh, We're always excited when somebody tunes in and turns on to what we've got to say. We continue to strive to be about all things recovery here at Faith in Your Recovery. Our guest today is Chad. Welcome, Chad. Thank you. Hey, it's good to have you with us. We appreciate you filling in at this last minute. Uh, Chad had a counterpart who was going to be here. She experienced an emergency. She got a hold of Chad. He was more than willing to step up. It was kind of short notice. But having lived the story as long as you have, I'm sure you can tell, you know, just a heartbeat, you can open up and share that. Yes? I hope so. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be the case. Hey, let's go back. Let's go back to where you were, you know, as a young person. Tell us about Chad. Tell us what life was like. Tell us some of those struggles, those good moments, those those things that made you who you are today. And we'll bring you on up to date as we move forward. All right. So uh, I was born 48 years ago to a wonderful mom and dad who are actually still married. Um, they still live in the same house that I grew up in. Um, childhood was actually really great, but I didn't see it that way because I'm self-centered. And I always wanted, I didn't, they call it King Baby Syndrome. I never outgrew the need for always wanting more. And unfortunately, my parents took the rash of it at the age of 18. I ran from them. Now, what did, what's that mean, you ran from them? You left home? I left home and never looked back. And they didn't know where I was at for 25 years. They had no contact. No contact. You didn't give them any kind of courtesy of nope. letting them I, know I'm I walked alive. away. I walked away from my entire family. My sister, my mom and dad, my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, cousins. Totally isolated. Totally isolated yourself. myself. I I know you called up what? What was that syndrome again? King baby syndrome. King baby. I, I never got out of being the baby that cried for the bottle. Aha. Okay. Okay. So is that what led to that behavior? What was it that drove you out of the house? You said you had a good upbringing. Your parents sounds like you were pretty squared away. They were. Uh, What is it, do you think, that drove you out of the house or caused you to make the decision to run? I always felt, you know, I look back on it today and they were just being mom and dad. You know, they had rules and I'm defiant. Gotcha. You know, back in the day, I was defiant, and I didn't like rules. So what do you mean? I got to be home at 9 p.m. I want to stay out till 10. They were doing what a parent. They were doing what a parent is supposed to do. Okay. And that backfired in this situation. Yes. Folks, we still advise you to keep it up. Do what a parent yes. supposed to do. Yep. I would rather do what a parent's supposed to do and lose than to mistake. And I and 100% agree. Do it. Yes. Yes. So you say at 18, you ran away. Uh, I. How far from home were you? 
basically 45 miles. 45 miles. Yep. Okay. Ended An hour up, away. Mm-hmm. Also ended up in Detroit, lived in Syracuse, New York. I just kept moving. When I felt like people were getting close, I moved. Okay. This, I didn't start drinking until I was 22. What What did life look like between 18 and 22 before the drinking started? Uh, a lot of fears. Um, I fell in love with uh, with a woman. Uh, we had two kids. Um I was the only one working. There was a lot of fears. A lot of fears. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I still wasn't getting my way. So you, I'm going to guess, took off again kind of thing? In in the aspect that I started hiding from my family, my married family, by drinking. I was there. I supported them financially, but that Physically, was Physically, you were there, there but, but no, not emotionally or spiritually. Okay. Or relationally. Right. Yeah. So at 22, you started drinking. How did that come about? Was it? Yeah. One, one day I was walking, I uh, worked for, uh, I was in retail. I worked for a grocery chain. And one day I was just looking at it and I was like, you know what? When times get hard, people drink. That's what they do. And unfortunately, I have the disease, which uh, is a trifold disease. I have the thing called phenomenon of craving. As soon as it touched my mouth, I did not stop. And basically, I was blacked out for a year. You're introducing me to terms I've not heard before. Thank you for that. It challenges my mind, the phenomenon of craving. Yeah, my craving is never satisfied until it's satisfied. You know, I I talk about how I can go to Dairy Queen because I'm craving a Butterfinger Blizzard, and I may only eat half of it. My craving is satisfied. I'm done. I walk away from it. But for me, an alcohol is not like that. Was there anything else other than alcohol that was like that, that you just couldn't get your fill on? Any time that I would put alcohol down, I would chase something else. It's never been drugs for me, but it's been women and money. And I could not get enough money, and I could not get enough women. I have a compulsive disorder. Okay, okay. How long did that battle go on? My, uh, my alcoholism went on for basically a little over two decades. So while while I was battling my alcoholism, I was going to AA meetings. I've been in and out of AA meetings for 25 years. But I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And I didn't understand that I battle a spiritual malady. What what do you see as the wrong reasons to have tended for you? So I call them back pains. I had my wife on my back. I had my kids on my back. I had lawyers on my back. I had judges on my back. And I had to get them off. And, and to please them, they wanted me to go to AA meetings to get a slip signed. So that's exactly what I did. And uh, for a guy like me, abstinence doesn't work. I can't just put the cork in the jug and walk away. I can do it for a brief period of time until I'm not being mandated to go to a meeting. And then it's back to the races. I, I chuckled there. You've referred to that as back pains and then explaining exactly what that meant. Yeah. But in essence, you were carrying that load of each one of them yes. and their their desire for you to step away from it. And they had to think it was easier for you than you thought it was for yourself. You know, they, they would say, uh, you have no willpower. You should be able to do this. And it's, it's not like that for people with the disease of addiction. And there are some who can do it easier. I didn't say easy can do it easier than others. You weren't one of those, obviously. I was not. So what did what did the alcoholism lead to? What did that 
time in your life, those two decades, what did that look like? Um, so, you know, obviously in and out of jails, um, because my thinking, I didn't get, in, I didn't go to jail a lot for drinking. I went to jail because of my thinking. I thought I could get away with stuff because I, in my mind, I can control any situation. That's where the spiritual malady is, is I, I know I'm not God, but I think I can play God. And I can tell you or anything else the outcome of how I want it to be to please me. And what that ended up doing was I burnt every bridge in my life. And I ended up all alone with two dogs in a house for the last two years of my drinking career. And my dogs didn't like me. And the reason that my dogs didn't like me is because they could smell the fear and the anger. I've never heard that thought. Yeah, because uh, dogs are supposed to be loyal and come in. Absolutely, and they I get that. They would and leave they the room. Sense. Yeah, they can tell. They would leave the room when I would come in. You were alone with them, and they didn't want to be alone with you. No. And I drank. I drank uh, every day. I drank every day when I was drinking, but the last two years of of my drinking career was was the worst that I'd ever gotten, and. Um, you know, I, I tell people in meetings and stuff, when God shows up, God shows up. I don't know that I was a, I wasn't atheist. I knew that there was a God. I just never talked to him. I didn't even do foxhole prayers. I didn't say, hey, get me out of this. I'll do good. I never did that either. So I was probably the most extreme atheist that anyone has ever probably met. And uh, when God shows up, God shows up. And I believe that, you know, you come to a point in your life and your addiction where you get beat into submission. And I was. I had no, you know, I always say that I'm the smartest man in the room. Ask me, I'll tell you. I know everything about everything. And it got to the point in my drinking career that I knew nothing about nothing. And I couldn't think about the minute in front of me. And I'm laying on the floor dying of untreated alcoholism. And for the first time in my life, March 29th, 2018, and I'll never forget that day, I said, if you are real, I need your help. How did he show up? I didn't hear him audibly, but basically he told me to get back to the meetings, back to AA meetings. Let me throw something on the table here. You can agree or disagree. That's fine. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. But I've often said the way God speaks is to our mind and heart instead of our ears. Is that the way you experienced him? I felt it in my heart. And so he he basically said, get back to the meetings. Unfortunately, my ego kept me away from the meetings for about six months. After he spoke to me. After he spoke to me. But I kept I kept feeling it. I was going to say, I'll bet those words kept rolling around I your did. head and, and heart. Um, oddly enough... Um, we learn in AA program, the 12 steps that, or my 12 step program, that God will, have, God will do for me what I could do not for myself. And I could never stop drinking, no matter how hard or bad I wanted to. You know, in those two years, I couldn't. But those six months, I didn't drink. It was like he after re- hearing his af- voice after, for those six in my heart, months, yeah, those six months, I did not drink. You hadn't turned back to the meetings yet, no. but you were able to go. To be abstinent from I was drinking. abstinent for, yeah. And uh, so I finally got my little butt in a meeting. And what was different this time was, uh, I say it in meetings, um, take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. And I started listening. 
and I got to hear my story. And there was a guy that drank like I did, and he wasn't drinking, and he was he was sober, clean, however you want to say it, for over seven years. I was a guy that stubbed my toe, and I was drinking. Any day that ended in Y was a good day for me to drink. I didn't need a reason. It sun's up and sun's down. It got to where I had to drink to get out of bed. I had to drink to go to bed. I was drinking if I was breathing. That's how bad it got for me. Yeah, yeah. So you you go that six months without drinking. Then you went, started Start attending going. meetings. Yep. What was your attitude? You said earlier that you used to attend the meetings, but you were attending for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I showed up angry. This I, meeting, at, after the six months? No, I didn't before, show up angry. I was broken. Before, before you were the meetings. angry. Yeah, I've been, gotcha. arrested, I've been arrested twice in an AA meeting, and I wasn't drinking. I, was, I, I would flip tables because you would tell me how to live my life. That's how, my, that's how I thought. And they were just giving suggestions. Okay, so you went to this meeting after the six months of sobriety at mm-hmm. that time, and you went there as a broken person with the cotton out of your ears and in your mouth. Is that accurate? That is very accurate. You went there ready to receive. Is that true? Yep. Okay, okay. What's some of the... The first words that stuck with you during that time, what was it that made you want to even go back to a second meeting? I knew they had a better way. I was miserable, and I just knew they had a better way. You know, for two and a half decades going in and out of AA, it was always the same people, and they were happy. And I'd never been, they laugh, and I've never truly, genuinely laughed in my entire life. And these guys were laughing and having fun, and I never got to experience that. And they and, had been in your place, not the exact place, no, no tour in the exact tower. I just want to be clear to our listeners. Yeah, they they that, knew where I was at, and they wanted me to have what they had. And so that was a drawing card. They were an inspiration. You could see somebody's done this. Maybe I can do this. What was the lights on moment that really kicked you in the butt and made you move forward with recovery? Step one, it says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. I always... And I always thought powerless meant that I was weak. And what step one is, is a conclusion. It's not a working step. It's a conclusion. For me, it was a conclusion that I can't do this no more. This thing has power over me, and it's going to kill me. That's the unmanageability part. I'm going to die all alone. And these these guys, like I said, they laughed. They're happy, joyous, and free. So that... That step landed in your head and heart. It convinced you, I'm strong enough to let go of this. Yep. Not strong enough to beat it. Right. Strong enough to let go of it and in turn overcome it. And that's what's helped get you where you are today. But I, yes. had, to have, I had to have help. 
we all need help. Yes, That's, we do. You know, it's the hardest thing to ask for and the most important question we can give sometimes. Help with a question mark or just cry out, help me, whatever it takes. Right. And that makes a bigger man out of you regardless of your size. And uh, that's where the others are able to pour into you. My life doesn't come from a background like yours, but it comes from a background where I've realized that anything I pour out that's good is because God poured in some good. Amen. And how's... How did you make it through those times? How did you keep trudging forward? Uh, I'm seeing I like the word trudging. In, in snow here so deep that you can hardly take the next step. But through your steps with AA, you start getting to the top of the pile as you walk. Help us out. So I took their suggestion that they'd been saying for two and a half decades, you need a sponsor. And the sole purpose of a sponsor is to guide you through the steps and to get a spiritual awakening. And uh, I struggled, you know, for those years that I was going in and out because all those steps. I'm like, I'm not telling anybody I'm sorry. I'm not taking a look at myself. But the most beautiful thing about, for me, the 12 steps is when I worked it with the sponsor, the first three steps helped me build a relationship with a God that I did not know. Tell our folks what those first three steps are. You've already given us step one, but repeat it. Okay, two step three. one is uh, admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, and or I for alcohol or an addiction, and our lives are unmanageable. Step two says that we came to believe in a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I had to come to terms with that I was crazy. You know, I keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting I'm going to be able to control it with a different result. And step three, the hardest one for me for quite some time was uh, made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. And see, that's what the beautiful thing about AA is, is he's, he's my God. He gives me no hard terms, as my big book tells me. He's my God. I have an intimate relationship with him. It's not like going to church and they tell me, because I had, you know, I struggled with churches. They were telling me how God was mean and going to, you know. So it's like, why do I need him? But um, those first three steps, and where it says turn my will and my life, is really what that is, is turning my, my, my thoughts and my actions over to him. Because I don't think right, and because I don't think right, I react. And today I don't have to react to a situation. I get to breathe and talk to him first. Is that the way you handle it? Let's just say a so, tough moment comes some day, up. When some you, days are harder than others, and some for, days I react. For all of us, yeah, okay. But, you know, I got a step for that, too. I, I get to uh, promptly admit where I messed up. And the first phone call is I call my sponsor, and I'm like, hey, I messed up. This character defect came out. and and, and uh, But, see, I got humanness. God didn't, I'm, I'm imperfectly perfect in God's eyes, and he yeah. knows that. Yeah. And uh, so the 12 steps have been about building relationships and four through four through seven is basically I get to build a relationship with myself. I find out who I am, why I do what I do, why I think the way I think, and I work on that. And then the next two steps, um, eight and nine is all those people in my life that I've harmed. I have to go back and tell them why. I don't go and say I'm sorry because that's just justification that I may do it again. I have to go before them humbly and explain to them why I did what I did. You know, it may have been out of self-centered fear. It may have been my ego and pride. 
I just didn't get what I want, so I retaliated, and I explained to them. I never say I'm sorry. I let them know that I have a crazy way of thinking, and I'm working on it today. And then 10, 11, and 12 are, um, they're called the maintenance steps, um, continuing to take personal inventory of myself. You know, I'm not judging you. I can only judge myself, and I'm working on me. And step 11 is uh, have conscious contact with my higher power all day long, ask for his will and guidance. And then step 12 is somewhat like this. I'm sharing my story, my experience, strength, and hope. And the the 12 steps, um, I've, I've learned the difference between religion and spirituality. Spirituality is following a message, which are the 12 steps, and religion is following the messenger. And the 12 steps got me to the messenger. So today you will hear me say in meetings that God got me to AA so AA could get me to God. I've heard that, and I like that yeah. phrase. And uh, I don't think God has any problem. I, I don't think he does whatsoever. either. Whatsoever. Some of us, he's got to drag kicking and screaming. Some of us go willingly. Some of us go after a tragedy. Some of us go as a way of celebrating. He didn't care. He just wants us to come. Right. You know, in his word, it says, come unto me. He didn't give you guidelines how to come. No. Nope. You don't have to clean it up first. You don't have to get the right lane. He let me come dirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just as you are, as the old hymn goes. And if you and I, as a society and culture, would be more like that, this world would change in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, I expect you to fit my expectations and vice versa so many times. But, man, you've... You fought the battle and you fought it hard and sounds like you've got the insights to where you understand where you've been, where you are, and the places you need to go. Yep. People, places, and things I know where to where I can play and where I can't. Yeah, that's and, so uh, And I know always who to seek. And you know, I seek him early and I seek him late and a whole bunch in between. Yeah, yeah, that's what it takes for all of us. What's a goal for life, Chad, uh, from this day forward? Okay, what are a couple, three things you would really, you would feel that you're getting there? Um, I always trust in God, uh, first and foremost. This is my third transitional home that I've worked for. God does not want me to leave them. We're going to talk about that, so make sure I bring that okay. back up, okay? Uh, I want the folks to know where you're at and what you're doing. Um, so I get to help people by observing them and knowing where they're at because I've been there. And I get to talk about my experience, strength, and hope to them. And uh, it's I'm kind of like on the front line, I feel like. You know, they come straight out of, out of rehab centers. Um, some of them come straight off the street, and I get them. You know, they're like my little kids now, and I get to help guide them, and, you know, and unfortunately, not everyone gets it, and uh, and, and it hurts, but I'm like, I was there, too. I was going to say it. You didn't get it the first nope, time, sure did you? Didn't. How many—now, I you probably couldn't even answer how many tries you had. So I say uh, 745 times I've tried this. That's what I say. I don't know. 
And yeah. that's a, that's a, probably an underrated number. I, you know, the scriptures talk about we're <coughs> to forgive seventy times seven. seventy. That's a an underrated number. Yep. Okay, that just means, man, if you're still counting after that long, quick count. <laughs> but the important thing is not how often you have to try. The important thing is getting it done, yep. and you're getting there. I know it's a continuing journey. It's not a, a destination. It's not a location. It's a part of who you are yes. every step, every day. Uh, physical step, spiritual step, AA step. I don't care what step we're talking. It continues to to bloom anew, and you've got to be ready to go with that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, wow. So tell the folks about what you're doing today. As far as helping others out, how you're giving back, uh, how God's working through you, yeah, share with us. So that's one of the things that the 12-step program has taught us, that uh, we're no longer really selfish, we're selfless. We think of ourselves less and think of others first. And sometimes that just comes with sitting with someone and letting them cry. And sometimes that comes like in the form of, you know, God has me in this house to work that uh, basically I'm a case manager for for frog recovery. Tell the folks what frog stands for. Many times we believe it's fully rely on God. God, I I, know that. I did too. It's Uh, 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 finding recovery options with growth. Say that again. Finding please. recovery options with growth. Okay, thank you. Because, uh, you know, like God for me showed up in my first form of gift, gift of desperation. Then he showed up as group, uh, uh, group of drunks. And A means just a group of old ex-drunks. Uh, but today God stands for grow or die. If I'm not growing every day spiritually, I'm going to die. I'm going to fall back. And those are my steps. That's what the 12 steps teaches me. And that's where, that's why I do what I do. Um, I believe that God wants me to help these kids grow. And when I help them grow, it helps me grow. It really does. They're, they say that there's no other therapeutical value that is greater than one alcoholic helping another because we've both been there. I believe that with all of my heart, whether we're talking alcoholism or whatever mental traumas we may have suffered, that uh, reaching out and helping others who are where you were builds you, strengthens you, your resolve. Uh, You see yourself in that person. You have that empathy for them uh and sometimes frustration because you're like oh you can do better (laughs) and that's when you're reminded of yourself how many times i must have frustrated someone right yeah yeah so tell us about the work of frog recovery okay so the actual job itself um we have uh therapist on site which is something that most halfway houses or transitional or sober livings don't have now she's trying to really move forward in a whole different direction um we have iop um, we also have a relapse prevention program. tell the folks what iop is please it's a um it's three days a week it's a inpatient um or intense outpatient uh program 
And it basically it starts with life skills. It teaches you why we think the way we think. It teaches you coping skills. It teaches you and shows you and how to recognize your triggers. Um, it's a it's a it's a twelve week class. It's, you know, like I said, it's uh, nine hours a, a week, and it's kind of intense, but it's well worth it in the end. So you, it's kind of like doing a fourth and fifth step. You get to learn who you are. Those elements <clears throat> of life that you didn't pick up on right. due to your addiction, they're trying to fill in those blanks and say, yeah. hey, this is what, quote, unquote, normal behaviors look like. Right. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Go ahead, please. Those, those classes are out. After I do a biopsych with the, the individual that comes in, I'll determine whether they go to IOP or uh, they may just go to a relapse prevention. So Would, are you one of the first people that they deal with when they come yes. in? Yes. Uh, actually, they deal with me on the phone. I do their assessment to make sure that uh -huh. they are acceptable to our program. There are some requirements that we, you know, make sure that you have. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So, yeah, I deal with them and. I, I love seeing them for the first time because it's like I know your story before you got here. <laughs> and, uh, and then we sit down and, and I do their, you know, it takes about an hour to do their biopsych. And then, and there's a lot of trauma in people. And we also have a trauma group. And uh, one of our therapists on site, she oversees the trauma group. And uh, I honestly, uh, after five years of being uh, working my 12 steps, I, I signed up for the trauma group and it's actually helped me. It, I had some deep-rooted trauma that I didn't realize that I was still hanging on to. And uh, so, yeah, mental health is uh, that's what it's, we're it's, that's where it's at. And, and it's so we need more help in the mental health area. Absolutely. That's where we've missed the boat as we far have. as a society. Uh, we've labeled without helping. Yep. Uh, we've condemned without offering. And... Uh, it's a struggle out there for some people, be it a chemical imbalance, being it environmental. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what we grow up with so many times, that becomes the norm to us. And that's not necessarily the case. And that's what makes this this frog recovery different than the other. Because the rest of them are just sober living. This is a transitional home, so we, we deal with the mental health issue. We don't just deal with the addiction and, and the alcoholism. We deal with the underlining issues. So, you know, we're, we're helping in the homeless area. We're helping in the mental health area. It's not just all about our, our disease of addiction. So that, that sober house, they're just dealing with addiction? Deal, more just dealing so with addiction, yep. Okay, that's an important thing. It is. It is important because that's elements. where my that's where my journey started was a sober living, and uh, that's how I got the basis of the, you know, the twelve steps. Being able to work with a sponsor was the twelve steps. So, how did you move from client to employee there, where you're at now at Frog? Um, because the way I work my program in God. Go ahead. When you say how you worked your program, what do you mean by that? They just saw your dedication. Well, my dedication to commitment. my dedication to staying sober and my dedication to helping other people's around me. And they could just see in you that uh, you're the kind of guy that could lead others yeah. to where you are and where they wanted to be. I'm I'm not a leader. That's God. I'm just a vessel for him. I believe that. 
And uh, I just share my experience, strength, and hope is all I can do. You keep going back to experience, strength, and hope. Yeah. What is your hope right now? Uh, my sobriety is contingent upon my spirituality, and my hope is always now is in God, and that Him and I keep walking forward, and we can help just one more person. I have always said in my life, I want one more good game in me. Uh, you just said it. In another word, you want to help one more person. I would count that as a a good game for me, okay? If I see one individual improve better, drawn closer to him. I love it when the light bulb goes off, oh, when you can see it. It, it just, that's an amazing yep. moment. Sometimes that comes with tears. They just break <laughs> down. Sometimes. And we're a, both crying when yeah, that happens. <laughs> sometimes it's a hallelujah shout or just the smack of the knee and a few choice words that we'll not use here. But once you get it and you see it's possible, I get the impression you're trying to tell us nothing has to stop you from getting there. No. Nope. So only yourself will stop you. That is why I I caution myself from saying nothing could stop you because we're our own worst yes. enemy most times. We sabotage ourselves, especially in alcoholism. And that is a self-sabotage disease. That's one of the characteristics of it. We had a gentleman on here a little while back, Dr. Rob Kelly from uh, Texas, originally from England. But his take on alcohol was just incredible. I invite you folks to go back and listen to that. I think it was episodes 98 and 99. But his story of alcoholism, his way of looking at it and understanding it, uh, it's worth your time. I can assure you that. What is it? that keeps you going back to work every day, Chad. Obviously, it's that hope of helping somebody else and getting to share your story. But what is it that really gets you out of bed? There's a, I heard this analogy a long time ago. There's this little boy that gets up every morning and walks the beach and throws, the star, and throws all the starfishes into the ocean. And there's a gentleman sitting up on a porch drinking his coffee and watches this little boy do it for days and days and days. And one day he goes down and asks the little boy, you, why do you do this every day? You're always continually throwing the same starfish back in. And he goes, there might be one that I save. Yeah, I love that story. I love that yeah. visual. And I am willing, pardon me, folks, I'm not speaking of anybody as being a castaway or a throwaway, but I'm willing to throw back 99 starfish to save, save one. one. Isn't that what Jesus did? That's what did he with did for me. Sheep? Yeah, that's what he did for us. It's what he did for the sheep. It's what he did for us. Uh, yeah, that's that's awesome stuff. Where or uh, I know you're you're not quote unquote management there at at Frog. I don't know what the label is, but you know the upper leadership, and I don't mean that as a put down. What can you see 
that you would like to see society culture frog offer that we're not offering? Where do you think we need to concentrate in helping those struggling with alcoholism, addiction of other types? We need to start in the jails. You know, we need explain that. We need so locking someone up for alcoholism or addiction, you know, and you see repeat offenders over and over and over and just putting them in a in a five by five or ten by ten cell is not fixing the problem. We're just taking them away from society because we don't want to deal with them. And I believe that, you know, society at large needs to come together and help support the mental health issues. That's where everything is underlying, and it's the mental health. Every Thursday afternoon at 1 o'clock, I go into the jail in Jay County, Indiana, Portland, okay? And I meet with the male inmates at 1 o'clock. We have a gal who meets with female inmates at 2 o'clock. We're usually 30 to 45 minutes in our meeting. Uh, depending on the census, we'll have anywhere from 8 or 10 to 18 or 24 is the highest I've ever had as far as coming to the group. Obviously, that group's constantly changing. Somebody's getting out of jail. Somebody new is coming into jail. Yep. But I honestly believe we're starting to get that point. You can't incarcerate the problem away. No. Our organization started nine years ago this November 5th. I have seen more changes in thinking, in strategies. You know, so many Indiana uh, groups, Iraq, so many have come on board. Back when we were in the battle, they wouldn't even talk to us at the jail. Right. The attitude I was given by the commander at that time was if you guys would do your job out there, they wouldn't be in here in the first place. You're not going to reach them in here if you can't reach them out there. Contrary to that, we stayed in the battle. Our sheriff, as soon as he got in office, invited us in. We've had a good relationship. It continues to, I believe it has an impact. I can't give you numbers, but uh, just listening to the to the inmates. But you're right. Uh, we've got to be down there in the dirt wallow with them yeah uh, we've got to get into the trenches so yeah yeah what what does chad need most for for his own mental health physical spiritual etc balance is important in my life balance um, yeah um on the hardest token for me to ever take was my 24-hour token and it took me two and a half decades to stand up and humbly admit I needed help. But uh, it, right in the middle of my triangle says, be true to thine own self. And if I don't have balance in my life, then I don't have that. And the balance of the triangle is uh, spiritual, emotional, and physical. And sometimes I just need to be by myself with God for an hour. And sometimes I just need to be with someone else. You know what? You're speaking from a background of alcohol addiction, and you're throwing out these statements, and I know you're sincere with them, but these fit you folks if you've never had a sip of alcohol. We all need time with God. Some of us 
need it more often. Some of us need it in a different way. That doesn't make us less than or more than. It makes us different than. I'm okay with different. I'm okay with being different today. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed, uh, you know, you've got a little more chin hair than I have, probably head hair (laughs) than I have, okay? That's not an issue for us here. Is there anything you'd like to wrap this up with, Chad? I, just, I thank you for the opportunity allowing you to allowing me to share my story. Our pleasure, and I know it's going to have <laughs> have an impact. I want to finish with this question. Our our podcast titled "Faith in Your Recovery." What do those four words mean to you? I'm asking your definition, understanding, meaning. Yeah, what do they mean to you? I never had faith and hope, and uh, because of my recovery, I have hope today, and I have faith that with me following my maker, that it will give hope in someone else. Let me throw this out there, uh, kind of paralleling the statement you made earlier, your hope has led you to recovery, and your recovery has led you to greater hope. Yeah. Accurate? Accurate. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Listen, thank you. Uh, This is extremely meaningful. I'm sure folks are going to get a ton from this. Uh, God bless in your continued endeavors. Thank you. Thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for the work of Frog Ministry. Give them our kudos. And uh, folks, we just, yeah, we just hope you listen in. You listen with your heart and your head. And if there's any way we can be of additional service, assistance to you, by all means, get a hold of us. Shoot us a, uh, shoot us an email at pot cast at ablbh.org. We'll answer those questions. If you've got one for Chad, shoot it. Uh, Make note it's for him. I'll get it to him. We'll get back to you with an answer or response. But no, you've just got to daily stay in the battle. Keep up the fight. Don't let go. Your answer Maybe just around the next corner. Hey, we're even confident enough to believe it could be in the next episode of Faith in Your Recovery. God will deliver when you walk to the mailbox. Amen. Amen. God bless. Thank you.